Over my sabbatical uh, earlier this year when I was away for a bit, there was a statement about Jesus that kind of got stuck in my brain that I was thinking a lot about, that I, it kind of captured my imagination, and I was just kind of chewing the statement about Jesus found at the beginning of John's gospel. Now, if you're new to church, if you're new to Christianity, a gospel is just the record of Jesus' life and His teaching. And of course, in the Bible, we have four of these records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them um, obviously tell us the same story, but maybe focus on different aspects. Um, and so, you know, a couple of them obviously begin the story of Jesus with the event of His birth, right? And they tell us about angels and shepherds in Bethlehem and a star and, and, and the birth of this special boy named Jesus. And, um, and then we sing songs. We actually already had Christmas music playing in our house this week. Anybody else? Anyone else here that's insane? Um, but John's a little bit different. He, he opens the story of Jesus, his gospel, not by talking about the event of his birth, but by focusing on the identity of Jesus Christ. Who is this person that comes that is born in Bethlehem. Who is this Jesus? And so he gives us this really compelling description of this person as he begins his story. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at this because it's in his opening words that I was just kind of struck by this description of Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to read the first few verses of John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. The words that kind of struck me that I want to settle on this morning are at the end of verse 14, but, but let's just kind of read through um, starting at verse 1. So this is how John, who, uh, if you don't know, John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He's someone who knew Jesus well. Um, he witnessed all the miracles. He heard all the teachings. And, and there was nobody that was closer, that had a closer vantage point to, to, the, to, to the life of Jesus than John. And uh, he's writing this book, we think, as an old man. You know, they, they told these stories. He would have taught this orally amongst the early church. And then at some point as he was getting old and probably as the people around him were thinking, John, you're not going to last forever. You need to put this down. So we have a record of the life and teaching of Jesus. Probably in his older age, he kind of records what he saw and what he experienced. And so these are his words. This is how he begins that account. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So right away we find this Word isn't actually just a series of letters of the alphabet. This Word, in fact, is a title for a person. This Word, He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And we're going to find He's actually talking about Jesus Christ. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's just skip down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. 
The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and then here are the words that struck me, full of grace and truth. This one, this person, this Word who was God and who created all things came, took on flesh. We have seen the glory of God in Him. He came full of grace and full of truth. Now, I find every word of that statement remarkable. Remarkable. I mean, even the word and, I think that word and is there important. Full of grace and full of truth. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I think an or might feel more appropriate there. We might have expected an or, like this is something that you are one or the other. You're either full of grace or you're full of truth. But Jesus wasn't or, Jesus was and. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And that kind of might be a little unexpected because in the world that we live in and maybe in our own lives, we tend to experience or see one or other, but not very often do we see both of those combined at the same time. You ever get the sense that the world is becoming increasingly polarized and divided? Do you, do you just kind of feel that when you turn on the news, you go on Facebook? You maybe, you maybe, you know, think, think of the conversations that you have with friends and family. Do you get this feeling that our world is really polarized and that's becoming worse and worse. It's becoming divided. People are kind of dividing into these two camps or poles, right? The North Pole, the South Pole, this side and that side, and this side is against that side, and that side's against this side, and that side's trying to own that side, and that side's trying to own that side. You know what I'm talking about, right? You see it, you feel it. It's all around us in our politics, in our culture, in our religion, and you know, sometimes I read about this, kind of article. I'm a bit of a, a, a news buff for good and for bad sometimes, because it can be pretty depressing, right? Um, but more and more, I'm just reading about the problem of this growing polarization in our society, like in our politics, and recently they did a study and found how just in the last few decades, um, people on one side of the political spectrum, they're... they're, they're uh, twice the number of those people look unfavorably and hate people on the other side, right? That division has widened. People on one side politically um, really dislike and maybe even hate people on the other side. That number has doubled in the last little while as people have become partisan. Uh, You see that in our media, right? It used to be, even when I was a kid, we all kind of watched the same news anchor, right? And now... You watch different news based on your own perspective, based on your own camp, your own tribe, right? These type of people go there to watch their news, and those type of people go there to watch their news. And what they talk about on the news there, these people don't talk about. What they talk about on the news there, the other side doesn't talk about. We see in our media, unfortunately, we see that kind of bleeding over into churches, right, in our land, and especially over these last few years with, with some of the issues regarding, obviously, COVID and um, racial politics and these sort of things, right? And, and so I've been reading 
you know, about some of these poor pastors where they get up their churches just like ours, but just to even talk about racism is, is to elicit this reaction from the other side. That's not our issue. That's the other, time, other side's issue. That's what they talk about. So they can't even talk about it, or they, they raise something like the problem of racism, and it brings this reaction. And the other side, if you want to talk about sexual ethics, it brings this reaction. That's not an issue on our side. That's an issue that the other people talk about, that the other side cares about. And so we see this kind of us and them sort of mentality all around us. And maybe, if you're honest, you kind of see it in your own life. And sometimes I, I, I feel like truth and grace are these two categories that are at odds with one another that are opposites of one another, right? Truth is about that which is right, justice. Grace, well, that's, that's all about mercy and love and kindness, and the two don't really meet. This side talks about how it's facts and not feelings. You ever heard that? Or facts don't care about your feelings. It's about the cold, hard truth. This side is talking about responsibility and accountability, and this side focuses on compassion and kindness. And I think there's this sense, as we've seen this modeled in the world, that grace and truth are these two opposite poles that have little to do with one another, and yet we find something very interesting in Jesus. In Jesus, we find that these two things meet perfectly, that Jesus is full of grace and truth, because this whole dynamic, it's not actually new. If you go back to uh, Jesus' life there, in Matthew 22, we won't turn there, but there's a story where there's two different religious groups in Jesus' day. There's the Pharisees. You know the Pharisees? They're like, they're like the strict religious people. Well, that's what it says, and so we follow every single word of it, no matter what. No matter what you feel about it, no, no matter what that means for you, it's right there. It's a strict religious approach. All that matters is the law. Those were the Pharisees. And on the other side, you had the Herodians, the Herodians were people that had kind of adjusted the faith to culture, kind of accommodated because Herod was king. You know, he made peace with the Romans, the occupiers, right? And they had a very different approach. And these two groups hated one another, and they both hated Jesus because Jesus wouldn't play their game. He wouldn't be pulled into their camps. And so they kind of came together, the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they came to Jesus to try to jet trap Jesus, and they took a coin. Aren't coins cool? First of all, let's just stop and just say, how? I bet collecting coins would be the coolest hobby there is. Any amens? You're starting to get, if you're new here now, you know Rusty's a coin collector, okay? They took a coin and they said to Jesus, um, should we pay our taxes? Should we, should we pay our taxes to, to, to Caesar, you know, the, our, our occupier? And Jesus said, let me see that coin. Whose face is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And then he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Which is a way of saying, I'm not playing your game. You know, I'm, I'm not being pulled into the camp that's truth that doesn't care about grace. I'm not being pulled into that place where it's truth. We don't care about people. Jesus is full of both grace and truth. 
He lived in that tension. He refused to conform to other people's boxes and categories. He lived in that tension. And there is tension in that, isn't there? There's tension in the middle between those two poles, right? You feel it, don't you? The, 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 the pull to one or the other to belong fully to this camp or to that camp. And Jesus constantly was in this tension, being pulled in both directions, and that's where he lived. He lived in that tension. Not giving up truth and not giving up grace. He ate with Roman tax collectors. He ate with the religious teachers. He was friends with priests. He was friends with prostitutes. He lived in that place in the tension. Laying hold of both truth and grace. He was a man in the middle. And by middle, I don't mean like moderation. You know, sometimes you hear everything in moderation. You know, maybe you have like a family member who doesn't get why you're so crazy about Jesus, why you take him so serious. And it's like, chill. Everything in moderation. That's, that's not what Jesus was here when I say he was a man in the middle. Jesus didn't do anything in moderation. John didn't say... This guy came, and he was part grace, and he was part truth. He was half grace, and he was half truth. Sometimes he was grace, and other times he was truth. That's not how he describes Jesus. This one came, and he was full of grace, right to the brim, and he was full of truth, right to the brim, all the time. And so he'll say, John, in, in the next verse, verse 16, out of his fullness... Out of Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given, which is just a way of saying grace after grace after grace. It's just a bottomless well that never runs dry of grace and of truth. That's Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that we, we tend to be pulled or find ourselves or move to one of the other. How many of you had parents right, that were more truth people and parents that were more grace people. You had different parents, right? And they were one or the other. You ever have that? Maybe they were both truth people. Ugh, you got a lot of spankings. <laughs> Maybe they were both grace people and you just got away with everything. You got away with too much and it wasn't good for you, right? So, I mean, sometimes it's nice. You got a team there, hopefully, but, but you knew as a kid, right, what you were going to get from which one you went to. If you wanted a bit more grace or leniency, you wanted to get your way, you went to the parent that was full, more full of grace, right? And um, in, 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 my, in my household, that probably ain't me, all right? I, I remember as a, it was quite a few years ago now, but I did one of these personality tests, and it, it kind of measured you on different kind of like uh, binaries of different, uh, different uh, traits, and one of them was, was justice or judgment and mercy, and I came out very high on the justice judgment side. I know you're going to be surprised, especially my wife, right? She's like, wow, you have really changed. You have really changed. But, you know, for me, um, I, I, I think with Jesus' help, I've, I've moderated, and I'm a work in progress. But that, would, that, that certainly, I think, has been my bent. And some of that bent's from my upbringing, right? Because I grew up in that home, the kind of that, a good home, Right? Where, where, where I was spared a lot of these experiences. And I just didn't understand other people that did stupid stuff. 
Just give your head a shake. Smarten up. Just do what's right. How hard can it be? That was me. I leaned towards truth, maybe more than grace. Notice how John continues in verse 17. He says, For the law was given through Moses, but truth or grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law, now look at the words here. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, what's the word? Came. That's a different word than give. That word came there literally means grace and truth were begotten, which is like an old biblically way of saying born. When Jesus was born, grace and truth were born. We knew a little bit of both before Jesus came, but with the coming of Jesus, because of the uniqueness of who He is and what God's plan is through His life, we can say now that grace and truth came, were born with the birth of Jesus Christ. What an interesting way for John to describe this. This is why Christianity isn't, isn't primarily about looking into a set of principles and, or a set of practices, and you need to know that. If you're kind of new here, someone invited you to the church, you've ne- never been before, you just think it, it's probably about following a certain set of rules, maybe the Ten Commandments. It's not. Christianity isn't looking to a set of principles or practices, but to a person to a person. It's not primarily asking the question, what do I believe or how do I act, but who do I trust? Who do I trust? And here John is showing us the uniqueness of Jesus. And he'll show us the uniqueness of Jesus in a few different ways. In verse 14, he, said, he described Jesus by saying, the Word became flesh. The one who he's already said is fully God. God became human. And here is a great mystery about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, that, in the, that in, in the person of Jesus, there's one who is fully God and fully man in such a way that his manness does not negate his godness and his godness does not detract from his humanness. Jesus is fully God and fully human He's unique. In Jesus, we see how God's justice and mercy meet perfectly as well. In Jesus, we see that God is fully just and fully merciful. Look at what uh, Paul had to say in Romans chapter 3. For some of you, these, these might be familiar verses. Romans 3, verse 23 to 26. Paul says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, that is like in His kind of patience, God left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. All of those sins committed by all those human beings that came before the birth of Jesus. He left all of them unpunished. 
He did so to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be, now listen, both just, what's the word? And. To be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In Jesus, God is both perfectly just and the one who justifies sinners. You know, some people think that the good news of Jesus, like Christianity, the gospel is all about God looks at us and he takes pity on us. And, and even though he sees our sin and all the terrible things we've done, you know, to him and to other people, he goes, you know what? I'm just not going to worry about that. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. We'll just set it to the side. I won't do anything with that. I'm just going to give you mercy. And just let all of that go. I think some people think that's what the gospel is, and, and, and you need to know that's not. That's not what it is. That's not what he's saying. That might be more like more, uh, an Islamic view of God's relationship. We all sin, but God is merciful, so he just looks the other way, and he just doesn't worry about it and forgives. But what Paul is telling us here is that in the person of Jesus, which, which finds its culmination at the cross, God both satisfies perfect justice, and don't we want a perfectly just judge? We want a God who opposes wickedness. We want a God who is just, and we want a God who is merciful, but we're all sinners. How can God be both? How can He judge sin adequately, give it its due without doing away with us? And the answer is, Jesus. So the gospel isn't that God doesn't care. He overlooks it. The answer is God in His love bears it on Himself on the cross. He bears the punishment, the guilt of your sin and my sin so that we can receive grace and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. In, in Jesus, in, in, in the cross, God is perfectly just and fully merciful at the same time. One, His mercy does not uh, detract or deny His justice, and His justice does not deny His mercy. He is both fully. Jesus is unique. And here John tells us that Jesus is fully grace and fully truth. And then he goes on, and we'll talk a little bit about, more about this in, in the weeks ahead, but he goes on to show in the life of Jesus what this looks like. Because a few chapters later, in, in, in John chapter 4, Jesus is going with his disciples, they're traveling, and he, they go through a, a region called Samaria, right? These, these were not people that Jews had anything to do with. And the other disciples thought, this isn't where we should go, Jesus. These aren't good people. But Jesus insists we're going here because he intends to meet this woman at the well. And maybe you know the story. He encounters at this well a Samaritan woman. And Jesus says to her, why don't you go and get your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. You've been married and divorced five times. And now you're living with a sixth guy. And you're not even married. You've, even, you've, you've given up on that. And why is Jesus bringing all of this to the surface? He knows when he asks the question, go get your husband, right? He's, he's not going to shy away from the brokenness in this woman's life. It's sort of saying, boy, you, you don't do relationships good. You're bad at relationships. 
But he doesn't stay there. This is the very first person that Jesus opens himself up to and shares his identity as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. He says, I've got better water for you to drink. I've got something better. You've been trying to find your fulfillment in relationships, and it hasn't worked for you, has it? I'm going to give you something better. Water that satisfies, that quenches your thirst. And this is the first woman where he kind of reveals his identity as the Messiah, the Savior sent from God. Here in this encounter, we see that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. He doesn't let go of either. And then a few chapters later, John chapter 8, there's another woman who we're told is caught in the act of adultery. And those Pharisees, they want to ensure that every law of God is followed as written. They find this woman caught in adultery. They drag her up out into the public square in front of everyone, including Jesus. And they say to Jesus, well, what should we do with her, Jesus? Moses told us, you remember the law came through Moses? Moses told us we should stone this one for the heinous sin that she has committed. But what do you say, Jesus? And Jesus, he just took his time, kind of let the suspension, the, the, the suspense build. And then he said, whoever hears without sin, be the first to cast a stone. You be the first to throw a stone. And if you know the story, you know that one by one, those religious leaders, those Pharisees, dropped their rocks because they had to admit that they too were sinners. And they left kind of disappointed because they were looking forward to exacting judgment until it was just Jesus and this woman. And there was only one person there who was without sin, who had every right to pick up a stone and throw it. Only one person, and his name was Jesus. And he said to this woman, woman, has nobody condemned you? And she says to him, no, Lord, nobody has condemned me. And then he said to her, then neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life to sin. I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to kill you. But go, there's better for you. There's better for you than what, than what you're doing, than what you have. And here we see Jesus full of grace and full of truth. And so his criticism of the Pharisees, these religious leaders, if you go to Matthew chapter 22, I don't think we've got it on the screen there or it's actually Matthew chapter 23, he's teaching his disciples and he says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you've got to be careful to do everything they tell you. In other words, you know, they're telling you God's word. Like they get up there and then they preach what God said. You should do it. You should obey it because that's, that's God's word. He says, you should do it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach for they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Oh, these Pharisees, they love truth. They love truth, and they will give it fully. They won't hold back. But then they don't do anything to help those who have to carry the truth, who have to live it out. And if you've tried to do that, if you've tried to follow God's will, you ever figured out that's hard? Sometimes the truth is hard. Sometimes the truth is, it doesn't mean it's not good, it's good. But it's hard at times. And Jesus says, these people, they got truth, but there's no grace. Why? Because they don't get on their hands and knees with people that are trying to bear up under the load of their shortcomings and help them carry it. 
That was his criticism of the religious leaders, right? They just stood at the top of the pit and said, you're in a pit, you need to get out. You need to come up here. Throw, Christian, throw those equations up on the screen here. This is kind of the way that I, I think John um, and, and the Scriptures formulate this. Truth minus grace equals critiquing, right? If we think of a pit, hey, you're in a pit. You shouldn't be down there. You should be up here. You need to get out. This is what you need to do. Truth apart from grace is critiquing, calling from the top of the pit. Grace minus truth is just affirming. You're down in a pit. I'm going to come join you. And you know what? It's not so bad down here. We can have some flowers, hang some drapes. When you think this way, you know what? You don't need to get out of here. You can just stay right here. It's okay. Grace without truth just becomes affirming. But grace plus truth is, say it with me, restoring, right? Grace plus truth equals restoring. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to restore us, right? John, John 3, with the famous verse, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right? For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save the world. Not just to tell them the truth, reiterate the truth, but to restore them and bring them up from the pit to a better place. Grace plus truth equals restoration. And that's the Jesus way. That's what Jesus, according to John, embodied. Jesus is the intersection of grace and truth. So here's the point that I want you to take away. Grace and truth are not competitors, but companions. Okay? Because in the world, you will find that this tends you know, to be one or the other. But that's not the Jesus way. That's not what He embodied. That's not what He calls us to do as we seek to live like Him and are empowered by Him, right? Grace and truth are not competitors. They are companions. In a world that says that you got to choose, in a world of or, Jesus says and. And. He says, live in that tension. Because if you try to, like Jesus, live lives of grace and truth in the situations you find yourself, you will experience tension in that place. A temptation to run to this side or to run to that side. But Jesus, like He embodied, calls us to live in the tension of being of fully be, having grace and being fully truthful. Jesus is in the tension. And so he says to his disciples in John chapter 13, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not just love, like the world loves, because that wouldn't be a new command. The newness in the command is, love one another as I have loved you. Grace and truth. 
By this, everyone will, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so the way I, I might think of this, if I were to diagram this, make a graph, is that where grace and truth intersect at that spot, that's love. Where grace and truth intersect, that is where love lives. That is where Jesus is. Where there is no truth, there cannot be love. And where there is no grace, there cannot be love. Love is where grace and truth intersect. That's where Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. And, and so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, and uh, if you're new here, we'd love for you to come back and keep tracking with us. Uh, because next week we're going to talk about, for a few weeks, we're going, to, we're going to continue this. Next week we're going to talk about what is truth? What is truth? Is there truth? What is truth? And why does it matter? And then the week after we're going to talk about grace. What is grace? And why does it matter? And then after that, whether it's one or more sermons, we're going to talk about how can we actually live this way as Jesus followers, right? As we face the sort of situations that we find ourselves. And maybe there's a situation in your own life where you're going, this is a place where I'm feeling that tension. To be both truthful and have grace. I'm finding it really hard in this situation. I'm just feeling that tension. Let me tell you, if, you're, if, if, you, if you think of a place of your life like that right now, what I encourage you to do is whether you want to tell me verbally, whether you want to email me, I would love to hear where you f- are feeling that tension in your own experience so that maybe as we go on in this series together, we can come and maybe we can explore together what does it look like to live like Jesus, to live in that, att- that tension of grace and truth in these different areas of life that we find ourselves today. So I'm looking forward to going uh, on this journey with you uh, and hopefully more and more growing to be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of truth. I want to invite you into a moment of prayer as the team comes up. Right where you are there, um, God, can, um, God can hear us all. And so um, what, how has God been talking to you, kind of maybe speaking to your heart, to your mind in this? Um, I'm going to close us in a prayer in a moment, but I just want to give you an opportunity right now um, to talk with God. If you want, you can bow your head, you can close your eyes. Just come before Him, and maybe you want to take a moment just to thank God that He is this type of God, that He is fully truth and fully grace. Maybe you just want to take a moment to thank Him. Maybe there's an area in your life where you're feeling that tension and you just need His wisdom and you need His help. Maybe just bring that before Him right now as well. Lay that before Him and ask Him for His guidance and His power to live in that spot. Father, we thank you that you loved the world. 
You love the world then, you love the world now. You love people on the other side of the world. You love people that are in this room right now. Every single person in here, you love. You created, you created to know you, to have fellowship with you. You created not, not just to live and try to have a little fun and then to die and be no more. You created us to know you and enjoy you forever, to live with you forever. And God, we just thank you that in your love for us, you have made a way through your son, Jesus. You have made a way for our sin and our shortcomings to be dealt with fully and finally through Jesus, through what he bore on the cross. And you have made a way through your son for us to be restored to you. Not just to be forgiven, but to be changed, but to be transformed in the way that we live so more and more we can experience this abundant life that you created us to have. And so I just pray for us in this room, God, as we digest what we have heard, Lord, would you just show us what it might look like for, for us as a, as a church body and us individually to um, be like Jesus as we have been called to love one another the way he has loved us. God, would you show us what it looks like to live in this tension, laying hold of both truth and grace. And in so doing, dishonor uh, him who has saved us, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And together we say, amen.